0: We were literally driving through the wildfires of Canada, the, the visiting friends in California where it hadn't rained for six years. We saw the melting glaciers in Peru. So the more, the more and more we got to kind of reflect on what life we were leading, what were the actual root causes of, of these things that we were seeing and experiencing, the more we, we intuitively felt that our artist residency idea had to have those those topics at the center of its of its vision and mission and we started researching and 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 found out you know that there's actually a a huge movement within the arts that are doing the same that are you know exploring from an artistic standpoint how we have built a society and a worldview that is based based upon stories and how art and creative people actually have you know have the tools and have have the power to to influence those stories and maybe they're actually the most important people of our time to to reach that fundamental change
1: you're listening to under the current a podcast that tells the real stories behind the life and work of creative people who come at things in unconventional ways In each episode, we go below the surface to better understand the highs, lows, and messy middles that are part of the journey. My name's Howard Gray, and I'm your host. Amsterdam is widely renowned as a global hub. It's a center of art, creativity, forward-thinking approaches to sustainability, and a center of incredible nightlife. Olaf Boswijk has been at the very centre of Amsterdam's nightlife scene for well over a decade. First as a music programme and resident DJ at the Club 11 venue, before setting up the legendary Trowel and the equally vital De School. It's fair to say Olaf's had a big part to play in creating a worldwide buzz around electronic music in the city. When Olaf decided to take a little break, he headed out of the city for a little while with his wife Mirja in their yellow camper van. But this wasn't any old trip. They headed west to Canada, went south into the US, and then headed all the way down through Latin America to Patagonia. It was in Southern Chile that they fell in love. With an incredible part of nature, they've now come to call Valley of the Possible. Valley of the Possible is a place where Olaf, Mia, and their team invite and challenge artists, scientists, and other creative thinkers and makers to envision alternative perspectives on our relationship with the natural world. In this conversation, Olaf shares the backstory of launching this latest project, the questions he asks about his own creative work, his attitude to risk, and why less ambition may be a positive sign. It's time to go onto the current with Olaf Boswik. Olaf, welcome to Under the Current. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks for taking the time.
0: Thank you for inviting me. I'm uh, very happy to be here.
1: There is loads I want to get into. uh, Culture, art, music, being an entrepreneur, bringing communities together, loads of stuff. But I wanted to start by asking you, why did you buy a camper van?
0: Well, the obvious answer is that way of traveling just really appealed to me and and to Mirla, my wife. The longer version of that is that before we bought a camper, we had been on on our honeymoon to Japan, which was a long trip of five weeks backpacking. And I can't tell you how important and amazing that trip was in many ways. You know, the culture, the Japanese culture that's so radically different than our Western culture, obviously the food, the, the landscapes, nature, everything. But somehow the only thing that we, I wouldn't say didn't like, but we thought was was where there was room for improvement for a next trip would be just having your own vehicle where you can decide, you know, do I want to stay or I want to go? And uh, even in Japan where, you know, the, the the public transport system and the trains are probably the best in the world, that was the only thing that we missed, you know, really that complete freedom of... I don't know, do we want to go into the mountains or into the desert or stay at the beach for a week and surf and you know be completely independent you know have have food have water have all your energy me- needs met with you know solar and whatnot yeah and that was that was why we wanted to have a camper
1: so this is about five years ago is that about right so when when did you know that it was time to, to do this like when was it when did you know it was time to hit
0: the road that was a couple of months before uh, trial closed the club that I was running at the time and it was possibly one of the most intense moments of my life intense periods of my life but I did find myself using valuable time scrolling through camper van forums about converting vans and you know where to find old fire trucks in Austria, or you know. In the end, I didn't buy that old fire truck in Austria, but it was all part of the the, the fun before before getting our own one.
1: And what precipitated that? So, like you you said, it was like a, an intense period. Those couple of months. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like you obviously you had this kind of something in you that said, "I want that mobility and being able to like." And explore and travel, but going from that intense period of leaving Rao effectively into this next phase. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
0: Yes. Well, the I think the wonderful thing about TROW and many of the other projects that I've been involved with, at least in, in music and nightlife sense, that they were always temporary. So those those projects are defined by a certain period of time. And we always chose when was the right time to close them and that gives you this opportunity to kind of end one chapter and completely start again which I think is is very beautiful and in you know in other with other jobs it's been hard to kind of you know you're in a job and you're you're doing well or maybe you're not doing well and it's very difficult to kind of step away from that or or give something up you might have the feeling that you're giving something up. But for me at the end of trowel, I already had like this deeper sense of this has been amazing. This has been incredibly hard. This is, has gone beyond any, any of my wildest dreams. I'm super happy and fulfilled that I've been able to do this. But I really, really need to do something else. And I really need to have time off. And I really want to process everything that's happened in the last five years. And I want to live a, a more quiet life. I want to, you know, just go into the mountains and do hikes or go skiing or I want to surf or see other cultures. And yeah, and that was, that was the, the, the really deeper kind of longing that I had.
1: Were there times in that gap, in that, that ne- within that next phase where you felt yourself getting pulled back at all? Or were you, did you embrace hikes and surfing and a quieter life?
0: I think both. I think both. There was a part of me that when, when I left Amsterdam in the summer of 2015, I was just talking to someone about that today. There was part of me that kind of felt, okay, maybe, maybe I've, I'm kind of shutting the door on nightlife and club life as I as I knew it, and maybe that's a good thing, like ending on the on a high note. Not that I, I didn't love music anymore not that I didn't that I wasn't interested in it anymore but I just really wanted to have a break from it but by the time we started our trip in Canada and by the time we were in California you know someone a friend of mine Heidi approached me oh do you want to play in my radio show in LA and then in Central America I don't know can't remember how but someone asked me like oh I I heard you're you're in Costa Rica and we do parties in Panama do you want to come and play so I kind of got pulled back into it and by that time I was I was very happy to do it and I really enjoyed being you know on the other side of the planet and not I really enjoyed DJing in that in that context whereas for instance playing in my own club at the time was incredibly stressful for me it was was like, you know, in, in a way, a dream come true, you know, and, and comfortable because I knew everything but in, in another sense incredibly confusing and with lots of pressure because obviously you know I, I knew everyone I mean, if it was the sound guy or the, the club manager or the people behind the bar or maybe I saw that I wasn't happy with the lights or I don't know you, you just as as the owner of a, of a club you always kind of see everything and as a DJ I think you, you kind of want to have this this focus and and you hope to get to the point where you're in this flow and you don't have to think. And I I found that I found those two very difficult. So I in general, I I found it a lot easier to DJ in 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 other places in the world.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that's like almost two two personas, the the owner and the DJ, right? Because you're right when you're trying to think like you said on the surface it would sound like every, if you ask uh, most DJs or, you know, creators, what would you love to do? It's like, well, I have my, have my own space where I can go and do my thing, like, you know, every yeah. week if I choose to and design the booth and everything else exactly to my specs. But w- is it fair to say that maybe there there are sort of two parts that are pulling there? There's some of the person who's running the project, but then there's the Olaf, the DJ, and there there's naturally going to be some friction there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it could be. And I think for many years left the owner always had the upper hand and I was always afraid to, to fully commit myself to, to DJing and in many ways I, I never really fully committed to DJing I still haven't but in the last few years not being an owner of a club anymore I did get to develop a lot more of my side as as a DJ and, and, and how to express myself musically and and I found that very enjoyable.
1: Can we talk a bit more about the road trip? You know you mentioned yeah showing up in panama and other places can you can you say like what briefly kind of where where you found yourself going and and maybe any moments or particularly kind of big learnings you had on that trip i know it was an extensive trip so maybe if you just want to take us through some of the highlights
0: yeah so in general we we started we we shipped our camper van from from europe to to the east coast yeah east coast of canada to halifax and you know you arrived there and then there you have your your house on wheels and from there on it's just freedom first we did east to west so like we crossed canada completely which is incredibly big really like parts of that you just want to put a brick on your gas pedal and i don't know start watching netflix or something <laughs> and from there we went basically for years we from 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 the west coast of canada we just it was always south you know just south across along the pacific highway mostly obviously inland in some parts but the further you get i mean i think i think canada and the states were the the ideal countries to to get started and to, to, to kind of find your way with you know with the vehicle with a different lifestyle with you know learning how it is to be with your with your better half literally 24 hours a day and then by the time you get to mexico and central america where you know latin america really starts i think that's where it really got exciting and what the trip was about and, you know, being in touch with, with different cultures, finding, looking for all the, the incredible natural beauty that was just, you know, spread out over those both continents. And I think in general, that was what we were looking for. Already in Canada and the States, we, we started planning our route mostly according to many of the national parks that we wanted to see or let's say the natural features whereas in our lives before or yeah obviously we we'd love to go to new york we'd love to go to san francisco or whatever but with a camper van it's just not very practical we did do it we had an amazing 10 days in, in in san francisco in our camper van but yeah that kind of lifestyle is just much more geared to you know pulling up in a forest or at a beach or
1: yeah, I can attest from about parking tickets I've had in New York that, yeah, having a camper van is probably not the best idea.
0: Yeah, and in San Francisco, for instance, I was invited by a friend to to pull up in front of his house and sleep in front of his house, and turned out he was you know, living on a really steep hill. So the the falling asleep part of that was yeah a little bit different than we anticipated.
1: So on you you as you you said just before that. Your phone started ringing with friends saying, "Hey, do you want to come and DJ on my radio show?" Things like that. Was was that element of it of DJing and sort of your your creative practice was that was that intentional as part of the trip? Were you were you planning to go and DJ or was that just serendipitous?
0: No, it kind of happened. It was not my intention at all. I think one of the things that happened quite soon in Canada and the States is that maybe by By the vehicle that we would we were driving which was you know a a big old yellow mercedes van that was not very common in 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 north america we got a lot of people coming up to us saying like hey who are you where are you from where are you going and we you know we had dutch plates, and people wanted to know you know our story and where we were going and what we were doing so they asked like do you have a blog and we didn't have that we didn't really want to but we got asked that question so many times so my wife is was a you know amateur photographer she said okay let's let's just do like a a blog and i can do like a visual diary and just upload my favorite pictures and you can do a sonic diary and you can just make a podcast so that's when i thought okay this this is actually really interesting maybe i can i can back to actually be go back to really being more creative for myself and i i, I was interested in in field recording and I have a little bit of history and I studied as an audio engineer so I, I bought a field recorder and I start thinking about how can I make this into an interesting podcast to listen to like how can I tell the stories of all the things that we are experiencing on the road of, of, the, of these cultures and landscapes and countries that we're going through and maybe combining them with no, the actual field recordings of those situations and the music that I'm listening to on the road. So that all kind of came together in in this podcast called Radio Baltasar, which I only made four episodes of. My ambition was making one for every country that I went through. And after a while, I don't know, I just got lost in the immense hard drive of material I had, and then, I don't know, maybe my perfectionism just got in the way, like working maybe you recognize it as, as a, as a podcaster as well, but I've done a lot of radio. And if, if I would have, let's say two turntables and a microphone and it's all live, and I've done that many times in my life and I know this is, you know, it's on air now and it's kind of gone after that, that's great. But working in a, in a digital realm and being able to edit every single bit or, you know, do a voiceover and then think, oh, I need to do this again and then do that 10 times yeah so that's the reason why i i I didn't pursue that but it did it did really put me in touch again with with actively working with music so i i quickly i never really gave up on following all the electronic music that was coming out you know people were still sending me music or promos or i was still reading the relevant websites and yeah so by the time i we did get to Central America I was like yeah I, I'd like to do that and and it was it made sense in the sense that I didn't have to fly there people didn't have to pay me a lot of money to to you know put me up in hotels and everything generally DJing in in Central and South America is also unless you're a super big name you know the budgets are lower anyway so and I kind of enjoyed that I just told people you know you can give me whatever you have and I have my I have my van I can stay anywhere, and yeah see it as a kind of tour bus
1: i wanted to touch on something you mentioned there around you said about radio and almost like the forcing function of it being live where as if you're doing like field recordings or podcasting things like that there's a luxury that comes with you can edit it you know we're recording this live but we're not live streaming it or we can edit it afterwards yeah but i think what you said about if there's just two turntables and a mic, you, you, it's done. You can't redo it. You can't rehash it. You can't overthink it. Whereas, with podcasting or the whether it's field recordings or audio stuff, there is that luxury that comes with being able to go back and tweak and adjust and change the sound levels. And I, I will spend hours, you know, fiddling with sound levels on a podcast. You know, it's it's easy to get lost in it in the in the search of maybe not perfection but whatever we call good and i wonder if you could talk about the forcing function that comes with something being live and kind of instantly out there in the world
0: i think it's it's an incredibly powerful thing to to be aware of that to be present with you know having to do it then and i, I mean in many ways whether it's radio or djing is similar. And actually maybe even running a club is similar as well. Like I think what a lot of, a lot of people don't realize is that a club is something that is like a 24 hour business. You know, you have, obviously you have once or twice or maybe three times a week, you have the opportunity to show what you're, what you're made of and what you're capable of. But the work to do that, to get there is is nearly constant throughout the week. Yeah. And that, and, and, and embracing that process and embracing that, rhythm of constantly doing that I think is something that's very very powerful and beautiful as maybe opposed to making podcasts or at least what I found with with my personal experience with Radio Baltasar I I did kind of get lost in tweaking audio levels and my search for perfection or at least what what is good enough and what people might expect or my own my own fear of failure perhaps even so yeah
1: and maybe the maybe the, the sort of link there is that so I told myself this podcast needs to go out every week on a Tuesday and it has to publish and there has to be a new episode. So if I'm yeah. scrambling on a Monday afternoon finishing up this episode, I know it has to go out on Tuesday. And kind of like the club, even though you're working round the clock on everything else, you know yeah. that at eleven pm on Friday night, like you the, the doors have to open and exactly. the music has to start. There's exactly. no you can't. Whether spend you're any ready more or not. Time. Yeah, whether yeah. you're ready or not. I think yeah. there's a Saturday Night Live. I think it's Law Michael's from Saturday Night Live who's who said we don't we we don't start because we're ready. We start because it's eleven thirty because it's like right. that's that's air yeah. time. Like, we have to start. We can keep writing the jokes and finessing and finessing and finessing, but like eventually we just have to go. Yeah,
0: the satellite Saturday Night Live is very very valid for running a club it's like you 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 have to open and whether you're ready or not and I think that's something that that is great that forces you and in my in my podcasting there was not that deadline there was not that there was ultimate freedom there were huge countries there were lots of stories lots of field recordings and then I think I was maybe you know expecting too much of myself in the sense that you know I wanted it to be like a nice flowing musical mix that you could put in the background if you're not really into you know talking podcasts like a nice music mix but it could also be you know actually something a talk or a story that actually does have some substance and, and, and content to it and I wanted that and obviously I wanted it to sound good and I wanted my voice to sound good and yes yeah. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and um, also maybe a generalist. And in that sense, I, I got lost in that. But it was it was incredibly fun to kind of just sit in my camper van as, you know, that, this little mobile studio and, you know, headphones on and n- tweak on some knobs along the way.
1: So as you were sitting in the studio, like, I'm assuming like sort of sharing driving duties and doing studio stuff when you could and everything else with yeah. photography work. Was it the plan to just keep heading due south? Was there, was there like an end point in mind? Can you, can you talk about where, where you plan to end up if you did plan at all?
0: All we knew is that we wanted to make it to Patagonia. We wanted to make it to the southern tip of, of South America. And I had been to Patagonia before and I backpacking like 10 years ago. And I did kind of feel that, you know, that mythical place is where, you know, that, that would be like the, the pinnacle of our trip. And for the rest, you know, we didn't have a, a really concise plan, but we did have this idea of okay. Obviously, we were we had time to think and we had time to reflect, and we did know we, we we had to do something at some point, and we needed to work, and 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 we always had this idea of of starting an artist residency, and that just came from a wish to maybe live a little bit more slow and maybe more in contact with nature and I think both Mirla, my wife and I always felt that it would be incredibly fun and adventurous to, to live in a different country and maybe a different continent sometime so we were definitely you know researching that idea and thinking about it dreaming about it making notes and kind of you know keeping our eyes open can we can we find a place that we maybe fall in love with and think let's stay here and that's kind of what happened.
1: Well, you found that place while while on the while in the van. We
0: we found that place, yeah. And that's that's what, what is now growing into Valley of the Possible. But we, we fell in love with with this specific place in, in southern Chile. And we kind of stumbled upon it. We didn't we didn't expect to find it there. We expected to find it maybe in Patagonia, and this is like slightly north of Patagonia, but very similar, very similar na- landscapes. But I think maybe the most important thing that happened leading up to all of this was rewinding completely to the to the beginning of our trip absolutely from like the beginning in canada and the states and every country after that is that we we started to experience firsthand all the stuff that we were basically reading in the news in our you know comfortable urban lives in amsterdam before you know climate change biodiversity loss the what globalization is doing to to indigenous people and and other communities and all of that we were literally driving through the wildfires of Canada the, the visiting friends in California where it hadn't rained for six years we saw the melting glaciers in Peru so the more the more and more we got to kind of reflect on what life we were leading what were the actual root causes of of these things that we were seeing and experiencing the more we we intuitively felt that our artist residency idea had to have those those topics at the center of its of its vision and mission and and we started researching and 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 found out you know that there's actually a a huge movement within the arts that are doing the same that are you know exploring from an artistic standpoint how we have built a society and a worldview that is based based upon stories and how art and creative people actually have an incredibly, you know, have the tools and have, have the power to, to influence those stories. And maybe they're actually the most important people of our time to, 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 to reach that fundamental change.
1: Is that something that came to you on the trip or is that something you think and that insight was bubbling up inside you? Because, I, I feel like even though on the surface proud to value the possible, we're going to talk about value of the possible in a bit in a bit more detail. They feel very different, but I feel like there is a kind of definitely the artistic residency or artist sensibility that runs through them. So I'm just wondering, was was that insight around artists being key to these stories because stories are so powerful in our society and culture? Did did you sort of know? Was that a realization on the trip, or do you think that was something that was bubbling up before?
0: No, I think I, I don't think I realised that back then in Trow. I mean, I do see. I, thank you for asking that because I do see because that a lot of people probably think, oh, Olaf took like a left turn and maybe another left turn to end up where he is now. Like, why didn't he just start another club? Because that that's what he was doing all this time. And to that, I would say there are many parallels between Valley of the Possible and Trow in the sense that. Both of them, I think, are you know platforms for alternative culture, and both of them have at their core the the wish to create the best possible circumstances for artists to create to perform, and to do that in in connection with with a community, and whether that's a dance floor or a rural community or a worldwide community, that that, that doesn't matter. And both of them were informed by my worldview at the time, and of the time that I was involved with, with club 11 and Trow and the school, I was living an urban life and I was relating that to, you know, what I felt those cities and those spaces and those communities at the time needed from the trip that we made. I think the biggest insight that we had is that with, you know, our growing urban Western culture, the modern human has become completely detached from nature but nature is very much in us we are part of nature nature is just another word for for life you could say and I felt okay what can I do in the grander context of what's going on in the world well I come from an arts and culture background so you know I'm not going to be someone who starts a solar company or a sustainability app or I don't know whatever you want to contribute to to these things i felt that what i can contribute is 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 creating an alter- alternative platform for art and creativity but in this case at the center of that is is you know ecology and nature science indigenous culture all these disciplines that that hold many of the secrets and or maybe not secrets but hold the the knowledge and and stories that we use to base our our societies and our worldview and our economic models on and, and value of the possible serves as a place where you can, as an artist or thinker or philosopher or whatever you are, you can come to and spend, you know, weeks, months to to really, you know, dive deep into into your own process, into into researching natural landscapes, ecosystems, thousand-year-old culture, thousand-year-old geological formations that you know give an insight into the history of the earth and uh, yeah that i think that's a radically different context than the urban context that the majority of people worldwide are are living right now
1: i wanted to just touch on something you said at the top of that just then around oh olaf's done a left turn is what people might think and I think left turns and one, you know, 180, that's a 90 degree, a, one, a 90 degree or a 180 is really yeah. hard. And I've been through, my brother's been through one as well, actually. He's, he went from music to like sustainability, sustainability, which was like yeah. a, a left turn. And they're really hard and they take a long time. They are doable, but they're really tough. And I think actually what you said is you, you probably could have done a sustainability app or a, you know, a solar wind farm or something, but the pivot time would have been considerable. And also, you wouldn't have been bringing as much with you carrying the thing, the good things that you've brought from other projects into that's harder to bring it across. Whereas actually it sounds like there's some, there was something closer than meets the eye in that what became value of the possible is not that dissimilar for Trow, And it sort of utilizes a lot of your core and your skills and your experience but just through a different lens, and so I think I just wanted to touch on that because I think often people think, "Oh, I've got it." To- if I'm interested in this topic, oh, I've got to make a ninety-degree or a one-eighty turn. But actually, it's just sort of applying it in a different way. What we already have before.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, there are are many things that I that I've learned along the way that I that I can use at this point. But it's also true that you know doing doing that left turn or ninety degree or or 180 is is difficult. But I guess what it comes down to for me is just really, really believing what my intuition and gut feeling said. And at the time during this trip, and still now, is for me, there was no, you know, there's no way to go back to my old life. I kind of swallowed the porcupine as they say. <laughs> You, you you can't go back and i just had this this very you know, deep feeling that i what can i contribute to the world and the and the and the larger community or a collective culture right now and and that's where where it came from
1: can you talk about the moment you saw that place in chile and and the and maybe could you talk through What happened next in terms of the decision process of think of how do you get from, we've rolled up in the van in in I can picture the yellow Mercedes van right now, Uh, roll up in the van, see this place. What was that like to see that? And then how did you get from that to actually a thing to actually something that felt tangible? Can you, can you talk through that period?
0: Well, it basically started that we, We'd spent around two weeks in Santiago, in the capital of Chile, like two horrible weeks in mechanic shops with you know mechanics that were completely unreliable. We were so fed up by the time we left Santiago, we were just like, Okay, what's the first interesting national park or area that we want to go to? Okay, there, that's eight hours from here. Let's just drive today. We're going to make it. And we arrived super late at night. And I think it was, it was raining really hard. And we had heard about these hot springs in that area and we pulled up and these hot springs were the special thing about them. They were open at night and we thought, okay, we've been in, you know, camping in, in mechanic shops for the last few days. We really need to like, you know, soak and let go of this and wash and all of that. So we went to those to those hot springs and that was great and um, we woke up the next morning and we, we we kind of saw where we were and we were this in, in, in this beautifully enclosed valley where you know fresh fresh snow on the mountaintops around us on the volcano actually it's a, a volcanic uh, mountain range and it just seemed like this empty undiscovered valley obviously it was not empty and undiscovered there was definitely people there and and you know people had discovered it many times before in history but for us it kind of seemed untouched and just had this energy that felt okay we need to explore we need to find out what you know what this place is and and i guess we were just falling in love and after that you start to rationalize why you fell in love with something right yeah because it's you know next to five national parks and there's about six volcanoes and there's this amazing indigenous ancient culture here and there are all these ancient forests and beautiful lakes and rivers and whatnot but I guess when you fall in love that's just it you 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 yeah you fall in love so from there we we decided to continue our trip to kind of validate if that was really the spot that we thought we were going to do it do we we wanted to explore Patagonia further that summer we even back went back to Europe and and visited a friend in Portugal who's working on a really interesting project we thought you know maybe we we can do it closer to home so we're not on the other side of the world and closer to our families and friends but as I said we'd fallen in love so there was nothing rational about it and then we just we came back and we spent weeks Walking, hiking, camping, and working on our master plan. And and I think from that also comes like the name Valley of the Possible, because when you when you walk a lot outside, when you hike in the forest, as many writers, thinkers, creatives know, and many world famous people are found by walking you sometimes have your best ideas. And when we were walking, we always have this feeling like yeah, you know, everything is possible and in this valley and that's the kind of thinking that we need to get out of this mess that we're in we wrote our master plan and we started building relationships with the local people there in the area and the main person in that valley that pretty much the only person that lives there up until now was the owner of those hot springs and has like a little ecotourism company and 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 a big lodge like a rustic mountain lodge and we thought, okay, we, we have to test our idea. So we did a pilot program, a pilot artist residency. We, we put out an open call online, tried to spread that as much as possible through our, you know, our networks. And were pretty surprised to have some really serious interest from both experienced and aspiring young artists from different places in the world that wanted to come. And uh, yeah, we, we put, got this group together and they came for a month. And that was just a magical, a magical first month of Valley of the possible because we had all these people from, from different disciplines, you know, a sociologist, a writer, a sound artist, uh, a bio artist, a designer, uh, a curator who works with mushrooms and mycelia, and all these people from different things bringing different knowledge and experience to the table. and you know how it is if you're staying in a mountain house together with a with a nice group and you know you get to eat together cook together make fire do walks it just turns into a into a magical time and that that whole period just gave us the the confidence that okay we're we're onto something this is something that we enjoy we are good at it's possible here let's do the next steps let let's actually start an organization let's start a non-profit let's try to gather a team an independent board and and start developing this project from the ground up
1: So I've five questions I want to ask off the back of that yeah sorry um, there was a long answer no no it's great no but this, this is this is this is super interesting I'm excited to dig into this a bit more so I'm going to, I'm going to borrow your analogy in a slightly strange way how long did it take from falling in love to the first date? So the first date being that first group. When you what was the time period before the moment you arrived, you and your wife that day to the time when those that first group landed and you all got together?
0: Well, that's a good question. I guess I guess that's might be a year or a year and a half because mm. we still had to we still had to finish our trip. Yeah. We still had the whole of Patagonia to go, like the the whole bottom half of Argentina and Chile, which is huge. And we really wanted to spend a lot of time there. So we did that. We went back to Amsterdam for a month or two or three, a summer. And then I think we put the open call out in probably October, November 2018. And then the group came in April, May of 2019.
1: Yeah, so I think it was a year and a half. So, so let's say from the moment you touched back down in Amsterdam from the trip yeah to the, to that to the uh, april may when everyone landed what what changed during that period from the from the thing that you had in your mind when you were first visiting to the moment everybody touched down what what had adjusted from the what was the initial plan
0: well i guess the realization that we never we never officially came back we always kind of came back temporarily right with you know with our suitcase or backpack or whatever and because we didn't really have anything anymore in in amsterdam except family and friends we didn't have jobs so in that sense that yeah we in that sense we never finished the the actual trip we we just stayed so i think that was that was a realization And another thing I think which which was also important is is when we did come back is telling family and friends like, okay, we are actually really we are really serious about this idea that we have and we're we're going to put things in motion to do it. Which is which is difficult because the people you are telling that to obviously don't want to see you leave, haven't seen you for a couple of years or the largest part for a couple of years. And maybe they 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 think that the idea or the dream is is great and amazing, maybe even idealistic or crazy, but yeah, they, they just don't want to they don't they don't want to see you leave. So that's also hard to to mm. tell that to people.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. New York's not quite as far as Chile, but you know it's far. Yeah.
0: It's like yeah. Around. No. I, of course. Uh, I This is pre-Corona time where you know. Yeah. You know, now oh. we're used to zoom and Skype calls all the time but a lot of people are just not good at that
1: yeah sure or don't want to so a of things i wanted to ask you around crossing the bridge as it were We're talking about valleys and hiking so i feel like it's sort of on
0: nice you know,
1: <laughs> trying, to, trying to kind of keep the visual going yeah the first thing i wanted to ask you was like the approach to risk because you said you said just then you know, some people might think that, oh, it feels big or it feels like idealistic or whatever it is. And I think with a lot of your projects, you know, you've, I wanted to do a couple of things I wanted to ask you in a bit just about Trow briefly. You know, Trow very much had its own kind of aura around it in a way. And it felt, it felt like a, you know, a big thing to build and grow. And then this this thing, you know, an, an artist's residency and research center in Chile feels huge. and it feel, And I think it feels risky you know being from Amsterdam not having lived in Chile for years and years and years you know yeah you went on a trip and then fell in love and then said right we're going to go and do this I think I think that feel it feels big and so I just wanted to ask you how and maybe also kind of as it relates to what you said about being a perfectionist you also were out there launching a project and getting it out there quickly at the same time so can you talk can you talk about how you you think about risk and how you think about maybe also like assessing projects and when when and how to launch them?
0: Yeah, thing is, I don't often think about risk. And that's not, yeah, I I think I come from, you know, a, a background and, and probably specifically my childhood that was very unsettled and was very, you know, a lot of times not completely safe, that I've always been trying to look for a way to express or to find places of connection, spaces for community. Basically, I find this out also by, by, by doing lots of therapy, creating a safe haven for others, and creating homes for others, where I can then also relax. I, I tend to be able to relax when everything is in place, when, every, when all everybody is able to do what they can do and to perform or to create, that's when I'm fulfilled. And I think my my older brother has something similar. He he's like in many things. He's been an example for me. He was you know the, running the club that I started, Club Eleven. He was my partner in Trow. He started a restaurant on an island outside of Amsterdam, where there's you know no water, no electricity, just a flock of sheep. It's one of the most amazing and successful restaurants in the country. But my wife tends to say that she thinks that we have balls of steel, which is not to say that we're you know tough guys but I think a lot of it also comes from yeah following your gut and intuition and in many ways also being naive and embracing that I've, I've told many people you know for instance the the guys my partners in the school when I handed it over to them looking back to the beginning of trial I probably wouldn't have done it knowing everything that came after that but if I didn't have that naivety, then, it, yeah, I wouldn't have done it. So it's, it's really, I think it's, 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 it's also something that's important to have, naivety, to embrace it. Because, yeah, obviously I can, I can think about all the things that can go wrong in Chile with this project. But I also have like this deeper wish to live different lives and to live you know try and do different things and to challenge myself and to yeah i'm not i'm not thinking about security i'm not trying to think about oh what if that and that goes wrong yeah then I, then i can always come back and i always know that amsterdam and my community and the people that are here will be there and that i saying that i realized that is also something of of privilege and of immense privilege that you know i i don't have to be scared that i we'll have to live under a bridge in a cardboard box
1: yeah yeah a few things there resonated likewise checking my privilege at the door you know I'm sitting here in my warm house in Brooklyn talking to you Mm. Um, yeah also the thing about naivety resonated with me when I I started my first company when I was 22 I think and then going and trying to do the second one I found so much harder because I didn't the naivety had gone and so I'd I was just more risk averse and more whatever they want to call the word and then and then what you what you said about risk and thank you for sharing that is to me it actually sounds like it's the opposite of risk because it's creating that haven and that home for people, so I suppose it's more that you don't think about it as risk, it's more like this is creating the the space that I want people to have, and then I'll feel fulfilled yeah. from doing so
0: yeah yeah uh, so- yeah and, and, and I think part of that is also yeah being able to kind of embrace those uncertainties and fear as well and, and to not shy away from them but to examine where they come from and like what I touched upon like through therapy I discovered that this, this this drive and motivation that I especially felt during trial that I had to succeed came from you know came from really deep patterns in my in my childhood And finding that out, having that insight, gave me, you know, made me understood how I work from the inside, and made me understood that there is immense power in that, but that is also, it's something, it's a trigger that that is connected to something that lies in my past. So I actually feel that right now I'm a lot less ambitious. A lot of that drive Mm. has kind of gone, which sometimes scares me, but maybe it's it's a good sign for you know my my mental and and internal health. And in many ways, I've always thought that value of the possible isn't actually that ambitious, but Mirla, my wife, tends to disagree. She does feel it is very ambitious. And I I guess in a way it is, doing something on the other side of the the world is, but I just really feel that there is a need for this kind of space and and I think we can do it.
1: And I guess it depends, depends how you define the word ambitious as well. It's all relative, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. and yeah and and i think my ambitions have shifted also from let's say when you're younger maybe you're more ambitious in in the sense that you want to succeed or you want to reach a certain level or you want to be the best among your competitors and i think that's also maybe more true of you know urban culture and this is something that i just believe is is more ambitious in the sense that it's something that I feel we as the world or, or you know, the arts and culture and, and everything need right now. And it's not something that I, I need to succeed in as me, as a private person. It's something that I just feel is, is important to be out there in, in, in service to, to life.
1: I wanted to ask you, not Trowell specifically, maybe just generally the other projects you've been involved in, I, I think of travel because I've, I've been there a bunch, and it always there was something about it that I couldn't put my finger on that was more than what it was on the surface, and I could never quite figure out what it was that made it sort of feel a little bit magical. I suppose, but I just wonder whether it's there or your other projects. What did you bring from those into value the possible? What are the what are the things that you're you're bringing across and bringing through into what's next?
0: I guess. Yeah. What I, what I think I mentioned before is, is, well, obviously during trial, I I learned a lot about running an organization and and basic management skills and how to create a vision, finding the right people and surrounding you with people that do things that, you know, I can't do, but I guess it's also about following your intuition and, and trusting those people to, to, to be able to do the things that they are really good at, and I think, especially in the last few years of trial, we, the organisation as a whole, and every person that was a part of that, was encouraged and challenged and trusted to, to do their thing, and to and to add their dreams to to the organisation. And like, you know, what do you want to do in, in the last years of trial? And someone said, oh, I want to create a bowling alley in the basement, and. and Someone else said, "Oh, I want to do something in in Concertgebouw, which is you know the most prestigious classic music hall in Amsterdam." Uh, and we did that. Other people wanted to work with the National Ballet, and we did that. So, what I'm trying to say is that I think the organization there got to this point where there was so much trust and momentum, and you know, belief and 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 confidence. And I think that is something that I would, I would hope uh, I can bring to value of the possible as well. Is that, you know, if you, if you give, whether it's the artists that come or the people that we work with, if you can give people that, that trust and comfort, confidence, you know, the sky's the limit.
1: Can you talk about what happened in that first residency, should we call it the first gathered, the first group? Yeah. The, the, told you whether it was a you know literally someone telling you or just a feeling or something you saw or sensed that that spurred you on to say like okay this is there's something here what were what were some of the things that that told you and your wife that this is something we want to we really want to grow now
0: well I mean part of it is from our own experience that we just really enjoyed doing it it was incredibly exciting and scary but we really enjoyed it we we enjoy hosting people showing people around making connections with you know whether it's the local university or indigenous community leaders or ecologists giving people like a, a crash course of of Chilean culture and 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 the natural surroundings there is something that we we found incredibly enjoyable also i think you know coming we always envisioned that these these residencies could work in a fantastic way that you get all these people from different parts of the world with different capabilities bringing different things to the table in you know a mountain house in the middle of the woods and just having the most amazing conversations and insights together and being able to do that you know day after day after day and we weren't sure that that actually was going to happen were were those talks actually going to be at that level was there going to be click was there going to be synergy within the group and and there was and to this day you know we we are still all in touch we 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 became friends for life and many collaborations came from it and and the other thing with artist residencies is it can sometimes really take a while before you actually see concrete results so I think we live in a time and in a world where you know every everybody talks about impact and you know quantify wants to quantify everything and data-driven results and analysis and everything and and I think an artist residency is maybe the complete opposite of that about of that we leave artists completely free to what they do but fast forward a year or a year and a half later some of the works that have come from that first period are absolutely incredible and you know there were. A book was written, came out recently, an amazing audiovisual performance about, you know, how deforestation is influencing the landscapes in, in Southern Chile. A lot of these people that participated in that first group really had a deeper fundamental change happen within and within their practice. And I think it gave them a lot to that they can benefit from from, from the rest of their life. And all those works and all those you know whether it's articles or performances or whatever they made travel the world and and, and that's why we do it that's why we we thought of if the possible to to you know support people in making things that go all around the world and reach different people and different audiences in a way that you know newspapers or other media cannot and and I think that, that that's the power of of art and the stories that we that we can create together. What
1: what do you think is missing in the arts and culture sector? know, obviously, you you are looking to fill a space with value of the possible. But I'm just curious where you think that the disconnects are, or the, the you know the next the next gaps are that could be could be filled.
0: Well, the, I mean, the most apparent one is the one that I feel that we are trying to fill, which is trying to restore and restory our relationship with the natural world and when I speak with you know whether it's the artists that are interested in these kind of topics or many cultural institutions around the world curators ecologists scientists or whatever they are very aware of that for instance nightlife electronic music might let's say my old world I think is still very very much in the dark to that i think they are not at all in tune to to that to that story and why that is necessary and what role could be played i think finally you know maybe in the last couple of years specifically maybe in the last year and and due to corona as well there has been time to reflect and there has been people questioning you know should we be flying all the time as artists should we be flying four times a week and how sustainable is that and sustainability definitely is on the table as a topic i think value of the possible attempts to go a level deeper like sustainability is still relatively superficial i think we as humans living in this time we need to really dive deeper within ourselves to to be able to to fundamentally change and and sustainability is is yeah, it's a little bit on the surface for me.
1: What do you want this to look like in the next you know fast forward two three five years? What what does value of the possible look and feel like? Do you do you hope?
0: Well, yeah, we have many ideas. What we're, what we're working on is creating our own accommodation and cabins there. And uh, most importantly, a communal workspace that can be anything where, you know, where, where we can meet, where we can work, where we can eat together, but also exhibit and maybe even do dance parties or, I don't know, light fires in the evening. We are also trying to start our own uh, permaculture garden, and with time, I mean this will probably be years down the road trying to not only protect some of the the, the the ancient forest there but try to regenerate and rewild some of the old degraded agricultural land and start planting native forest And in that way kind of instead of you know lessening our impact as we are told daily, um, increasing our impact but in a, in a positive way.
1: Yeah, net net positive, I guess, rather yeah.
0: than yeah, just just yeah. minimising, yeah, 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 and 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 continuing to you know re- re- receive artists and and scientists and, and and other thinkers and makers from all over the world that you know feel feel connected to to our mission and and want to contribute and and make works that can that can travel all around the world.
1: I, I do feel like there is surely a shift towards this way of thinking, but what you and the, the way that you're seeing things. But you mentioned like your your old world of electronic music doesn't seem to, is still sort of in the dark. I'm just, just curious, like what, why is that? Is it sort of a, a cultural thing or just from the way where it's a young industry or what What, what do you think is the reason behind that?
0: By, by diving into those questions, that can be very confronting and very scary. As a DJ, I've, I've really, I've often have that f- that feeling like okay i was flown in here and you know people gave me a beautiful hotel and gave me a proper amount of money but due to various circumstances i kind of felt was i really necessary there was i actually the person that brought that that party to a next level or was there maybe a local guy or girl that knew that room much better and knew that crowd much better and was more suited to play that spot have have we gone too far in this kind of industry that's gone you know about growth and growth and growth like just like the world and society itself so you know going back to your question in order for that world to to answer or to dive into those questions that's a very very tough thing to do but I think that's something that is required of everyone at this point. Yeah. I think what you say
1: about the, is there a local person that could be doing this better? What was I necessary? Is a very, that's a very confronting question to oneself when you're on a flight back after three hours sleep.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I posted, I posted that online. And obviously that's something that your agent or other people are like, that's not something you do as an artist, but you know, I just really felt that like I I was playing in Helsinki and on a, uh, for one of my favorite, promoters in the world in my favorite rooms but i was playing in the small room in the main room it was ben clock at two o'clock and i started at two o'clock as well so the the room emptied and i just thought why why was i here and i don't know maybe i'm too self-critical in that sense but i i i I generally felt that
1: well so so ben clock is a you know a headline techno dj but i think i think that also what you were getting at maybe was you can go to Helsinki and there'll be a local, the resident or the the OLAF arguably of, you know, related to trout, who really knows the room and the crowd and the space. And is really, really great. And I remember going to Brazil, go back to South America a few years ago. Yes. And there were a couple of big acts playing that weekend that I was there. And instead I went to like this small place and it was great. I had no idea who the DJs were, mm-hmm. just some local guys. And they were, they were fantastic because there's just a yeah. certain feeling in there. And I wonder what, what I'm getting to with that is, maybe a different kind of local and a different kind of global. So the four, the flying four times a week thing, mm. not sure. What what you're talking about, Valley of the Possible, is global, but it also has a sort of locality co-located element to it as well because you're yeah. coming together in a more kind of meaningful way than like fly in, do a two-hour set, leave, or do a one-day exhibition, leave. And so I think, yeah. I think maybe where things are moving towards is there will still be global. I think post-pandemic, a lot of people will be seeking that, but there'll be a different kind of local at the same time. So I think I'm really curious about what kind of the, yeah. the spaces where we come together are going to look like in the future.
0: Yeah, and, and, and in many ways, I hope that, you know, the way that we are now starting to see, for instance, food and how we source our food, you know, we want it to be local and seasonal and, 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 and well-produced and not to the expense of other or other animals is something is a principle we can also apply to to electronic music and nightlife and many of the principles that started this you know in in new york as you know in like late 80s i think still the 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 incredibly important and valuable, valuable principles that i think we should we should keep in mind when 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 being active in in nightlife or, or music or maybe in arts and culture in general you know the the Spaces like The Loft and The Paradise Garage, that was where that started. And I think more than ever, those those values are yeah, still still valid right now.
1: You know, I, I hope things bounce back, but I hope they don't bounce back just to what they were before. And I yeah. suppose that's maybe the... The thing that I'm thinking about a lot is: yes, we all want nightlife to bounce back, but it shouldn't bounce back to what it was in 2018 or 19. And so, no. yeah, I'd, I'd hope it go. You know, there's more stuff that feels more like the loft, for example, yeah. Or yeah. feels more like value the possible. I hope that like kind yeah. of our culture move more that way. We'll see. Obviously, it's challenging with regards to just the natural commercial element of making it sustainable in the financial sense. But yeah, yeah I'm curious about where things will bounce back to.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I, I mean, a lot of people are, especially artists, I would say are now also in the position where, you know, you, you have to, you're forced to question many of these things. And a lot of them I think have realized in the last year, like maybe those three or four gigs a weekend wasn't sustainable for me as a person. Mm. Um, So maybe it shouldn't be my idea for the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think you you mentioned the word confront a couple of times, which is an interesting word. Yeah, and we, we we've, we've we've sort of asked the question of why a couple of times. I wanted I wanted to go to a very local place and maybe something that was like very sort of confronting for you, which is becoming a dad, sort of confronted with the prospect of your life of that that life change. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about what shifted for you. You know, lots of things have changed from going to prowl to a camper van to chile to value the possible to uh, a houseboat in amsterdam which you're coming to us from yeah. today to to being a dad can you talk can you talk a little bit about the shift from being a, a non-parent to a parent
0: oh it's i mean everything they say about that is true it's obviously the 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 biggest shift the biggest transition of my life ever and you know in, in in many ways you can kind of you kind of know what to expect because you've seen other people go through it but yeah i mean experiencing it for real is just incredibly incredibly um beautiful and hard and profound and i think it, it it's taking me some time like i'm now nearly six months into fatherhood and every day is is better and more enjoyable and I'm um, head over heels in love with with my daughter Kami but I also have to admit like the first two months were were really hard and I was resisting a lot of what was going on because I you know I didn't have the time that I used to have to be able to dedicate for instance to Valley of the Possible or some of the other work or projects I was working on at the time so I really had to yeah surrender myself to the situation that okay this my daughter and and this family life is the most important thing right now and and i think maybe that's also the essence of 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 parenthood of or being a father is really putting that first and that's that's a fundamental shift in thinking and which i hope while well, i'm sure will be will be with me now for the rest of my life which is equally challenging because I do feel the need to, you know, I want to work on that if the possible right now. And, you know, it's been a year of Corona and a lot of things have been put on hold or changed or postponed. But yeah, I, I, it's something that I also, I have to admit, I, I still struggle with daily. Like, how do I, how do I actually put her first, but how do I also, also do the things that I really want to do?
1: Hmm. And I guess there's a sort of forcing function of using the hours that you do have for, particular focus points and trying to kind of prioritize what to work on
0: oh yeah i mean for that is it's a pressure cooker you know everything that's not important just yeah just drops off the list yeah well
1: that's i'm it. flattered that i'm flattered that we're talking today <laughs>
0: um, and, so,
1: and with with that in mind we've only got a few minutes left on the clock because um, yeah. I, I, you've got plenty to get back to other other than the family project of course which projects and i'm going to say that sort of within whether that is projects within the value of the possible community or things that are kind of adjacent to it, which projects are you excited about for 2021?
0: I'm incredibly excited about the next group of artists that is coming. They were planned to come in April, May, 2020. It's now postponed to April, May, 2021. And this week will be crunch time to decide whether that's possible or not. To be honest doesn't look good at the moment but the great thing is that it's another very special group of people that have already been able to meet uh, with each other online so once they meet physically i think that's gonna that's gonna really take off the other project i'm excited about is we're working with a chilean architect who actually lives and works in rotterdam works on a you know high international level designing exhibitions and buildings for for the arts, for you know, major museums and major artists. And we have started a project where we have linked him to young students, young art and architecture students at the university closest to Vallejo possible in Temuco in Southern Chile. And those students together with Federico, this architect, architect are working on the design of what will be the The communal workspace of value of the possible and these these students are amazing they have a they have an incredible deep knowledge and feeling for the landscapes for you know the light and uh, the wind the forest and and obviously we, we want to create an architecture that is that is related to that landscape and we don't want to be the next white gringos to just land and and build some kind of ufo white cube art space it has to be a lot more sensitive and, and more respectful and the other project that we're working on which is exciting is together with one of our first participants Darko's sociologist we are working on a community-based conservation model for the Arcaria tree which is the the sacred ancient tree of the indigenous people around Valley of the Possible and what we're trying to do is depart from there ancestral knowledge and wisdom and the symbiotic relationship that they have with that tree to create a, a way of preserving the tree and, and the ecosystem related to that which you know embraces the fact that man and nature are together and that the man and tree are related and it's not the old conservation model as a national park where you fence off something and protect it which is which has been you know good up until now we need to work towards ways of working and protecting and living with nature that includes the human as well, and I think that's that's the way forward. So that's something that we're really excited about as well. And I'm very excited just to go back to Chile to 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 be in our in our little house in our little cabin that we have there.
1: Hopefully soon, when travel yes starts yeah. up, we'll include those projects where we can in the show notes. But before we finish up, any advice thoughts comments things we haven't talked about that we should have done anything at all that you want
0: to you want to share before we wrap Oof, up? we touched so much we touched upon so much no i th- i think that we've said a lot and i'm i'm very happy and grateful to have had the opportunity to talk about all these different aspects of my both personal and uh, professional life and thank you for for asking many of the questions that you know are often not um, asked which uh, yeah thank you my pleasure.
1: Uh, it's been great talking to you and I'm excited to hear about the next phase of Valley of the Possible. And as yep. I said, just before we hit record, I'm hoping also we can maybe hang out on the houseboat in Amsterdam sometime soon as well.
0: Let's do that. You you are completely invited to come over. Thank you.
1: It's been a pleasure, man. I'll let you get, go. you've got, you got probably got plenty of dab work to do. So I'll, I have <laughs> to
0: cook right now. Yeah. I have to cook for my, for my girls.
1: All right. Thanks so much, man. See you soon.
0: Yeah. Thank you too.
1: Hey, it's Howard again. Thanks for listening. Just wanted to let you know that you can access every episode of Under the Current, along with full show notes, links, and other resources, at underthecurrentpodcast.com and also on our YouTube channel. Under the Current is produced by Wavetable learn more at wavetable.net. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.